Welcome to Invested in Climate. Protecting the planet and decarbonizing the global economy is the challenge of our time. We all have a role to play and the opportunity we face is unprecedented. Invested in Climate aims to help people do more to address climate change through their work, investments, lifestyle, and activism. I'm your host, Jason Rissman. I support a growing community of top climate and ESG leaders as the Chief Experience Officer at Nations Wealth, and I'm an advisor to the climate practice at IDEO. I'm also an investor and startup advisor, and when it comes to climate action, I know I'll be a lifelong learner, always looking to have more impact. If you like what you hear, give us a good rating on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you found us. Sign up for updates and suggest ideas for future episodes at investedinclimate.com. Follow us on social, subscribe, and spread the word. Thanks for joining. The ocean climate alarm bells are ringing. Although the challenges are quite vast, if we continue to activate young people, develop and implement these innovative solutions, and mobilize an ocean workforce, that we can indeed restore the health of our ocean in our lifetime. My biggest call to action is listen to the voice of the ocean. Slow down. Take a step away from your desk. Stretch out. Put your back on a tree. Take a deep breath. Know that you're inextricably connected to the ocean. And if you can, get in the water. Hey, everyone. Today, we're taking a deep dive into the ocean. Oceans are central to our planet's climate system. They regulate temperatures, host a vast array of biodiversity, and here's a crucial point. They absorb about a quarter of all CO2 emissions, acting as a massive carbon sink. But this isn't without consequence. Ocean acidification is a direct result of climate change. It's a silent crisis happening beneath the waves that's triggering a mass extinction of coral reefs and the diverse ecosystems that depend on them. And then there's the crisis of plastics. 10 million tons of plastic enter the ocean each year. These threats are real and immediate, but so is the potential for innovation. In this episode, we're joined by two people working hard to restore ocean health. Brandon Levy is Chief Product Officer at the Sustainable Ocean Alliance, and Bodhi Patel is an activist and organizer who founded Oceans Uprise, a platform enabling thousands of young people to support ocean activism. Both Brandon and Bodhi have their fingers on the pulse of the global effort to protect and restore our oceans, And despite the daunting challenges facing our oceans, this conversation was truly inspiring. I'm sure you'll enjoy. Here we go. Bodhi and Brandon, welcome to Invested in Climate. So great to have you here today. So nice to be here. Thanks for having us, Jason. Thanks, Jason. Great to be here. Well, I know you two are world travelers working to protect the ocean, and that brings you to all sorts of places. Where do I find you for today's call? Right now, I'm on the unceded ancestral territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh people in Vancouver, British Columbia. I'm nestled in between the mountains and the ocean. There's no more beautiful place to be in the world than this. Thanks, Bodhi. Brandon, what about you? I am currently just outside of New York City, traditionally the Shinnecock Indian Nation area, and I am here visiting family for the holidays. Well, thank you both for joining, and thank you for those land acknowledgments. So we're here to talk about the oceans, one of the greatest global commons, a resource and source of for life on earth. And there's incredible importance of addressing climate change through the oceans. And that's going to be the conversation today. Before we dive in, let's learn a bit about who you are and what brings you here. 
So I'd love to just get a quick sense of your background, your role, and the organizations you're part of. Brandon, will you please kick us off? Absolutely. So I was actually born and bred in New York and the son of two mental health professionals, a psychiatrist and a therapist I come from a long line of people who have served in the mental health arena, but also had many influences in my young life to get me really engaged in current events with big global questions and problems. So growing up, I was always very lit up by social studies, history, political science, government, economics, the, the social sciences really, which were the arena in which all of these different psychologies and individuals with their own psyches were interacting in. I'm still sitting with the question, you know, what is the biggest impact that I can have on the planet? And for me, that's also very often a twofold question. On one hand, I look at it from a very practical consideration. Of course, we're the generation inheriting a planet that's in decline. We have to act drastically and radically to change these systems that are creating these economic and ecological nightmares for us. And I also look at the question from a spiritual dimension. I think of the great saint, great Indian saint, Ramana Maharshi, who said, your own self-realization is the greatest service you can render the world. So I'm constantly starting with myself, with my inner work, and trusting that that self-examination, that emphasis on really looking at my own shadow and trying to become the most wholehearted, present human being that I can be will translate into external impact as a leader, as a, a professional, as a son, as a future father and beyond. I currently find myself at Sustainable Ocean Alliance, where I'm the chief program officer. Prior to joining the organization, I spent a lot of my career working in the arena of climate change, particularly on the renewable energy investment and innovation side. I worked at California Clean Energy Fund, CalCharge, and CalSeed particularly, which were initiatives to spur innovation in the energy storage, solar, wind, and mobility space. And a big turning point for me is when I learned the role that the ocean actually plays as an ally against climate change. I believe estimates show that around a quarter of carbon emissions that human activity generates each year is absorbed by the ocean. They're a giant reservoir for heat and carbon and attributed to absorbing 93% of added heat to the atmosphere since about the 1850s and the Industrial Revolution. So when I learned the key role that the ocean has, but also how its limits to help keep the planet habitable are being severely tested, I was like, well, what can I do being a young enterprising individual to support this very precious ecosystem? So that's when I linked up with Daniela Fernandez, the, the founder and CEO of Sustainable Ocean Alliance, to look at how to address the ocean's biggest needs through an innovation model, similar to what I was working on in the past. So technology accelerators, looking at ways to create venture funds and a whole ecosystem of support for projects and services, but also honoring my family upbringing and my really strong interest in spirituality and mental health. How do we factor in the human component as well? So 
I was brought on not just to help grow our innovation efforts, but also to tackle some of the more holistic elements. And that led me to create the Ocean Leadership Program, which involves providing grants for young leaders, mentorship, integral coaching, and other forms of capacity building, including events and beyond. One of those events, maybe I, I met Bodhi at. <laughs> yeah. That's my story now. I'm coming up at around five years at Sustainable Ocean Alliance and still find myself continually challenging and growing as a person and learning more and more about this vast ecosystem that our life depends on and also can be our biggest co-conspirator in creating a better and more habitable planet for the future. Thank you, Brandon. And we will certainly circle back to learn more about the Sustainable Ocean Alliance and the importance of the work that it's doing. Bodhi, let's turn to you. Tell us a bit about your background, your role, and the organization that you're part of. Like Brandon, I had a very similar story, just in a very different place. I was born in Washington, D.C. I moved to Indonesia and the Middle East and back to the East Coast of the U.S., I'm to the west coast of Canada, back to the east coast, and now I'm a student on the west coast of Canada in Vancouver again. And my story started when I was really four years old. My dad took me snorkeling in Bali, and we had been in Indonesia living there for two years at the time. And in that two-year span, I'd seen one of the worst floods in over 100 years. And it was a hurricane that hit Akue, Indonesia, and killed over 175,000 people. And so when I looked outside of the window from our apartment, I could see dead bodies floating down the streets and kids and goats and dogs. And as a three-year-old, I didn't know what to do. And I didn't know what that meant. And to me, that inequality stuck really hard. And looking back on it now, it's one of my driving forces to really create a better world by understanding that there's fundamental inequality. The next year, we took a boat to Bali and because as coming from a family that had the opportunity to travel, had some privilege, I saw the difference it was from living as a street kid on the street with kids begging when we went to school on the window to having the opportunity to go see beautiful islands like Bali. And we were out on the reef. We snorkeled past the urchins and just past the initial drop-off. And it goes from about five meters to 30. And I saw black tip reef sharks encircling a school of fish and also a green sea turtle. And at that moment, I knew that that was a circle of life happening, quite literally. And I just started to cry underwater as I saw what went down. And at that moment, I realized that everything's deeply connected and that ocean health is inextricably linked to human health. And they're one and the same and not different. And I was also a part of that ecosystem. And being a part of that ecosystem, I had a role to steward and protect it. So as I swam back, to the beach that day with my dad holding onto his back and walking back onto land, I realized that I would be an ocean guardian and someone that would dedicate my life to protecting the ocean. And since being four years old, it's just evolved and changed in many ways. And when I was in sixth grade living in Virginia, I realized that mental health and the environment was such an important issue because so many young people feel eco-anxiety. In fact, 7 in 10 Americans and 7 in 10 young people worldwide feel extreme stress about climate change. So I knew I had to do something because I learned the toolkits from my mom, who is a lawyer, um, a world karate champion, and most importantly, a great teacher and mom, to combat climate mental health and to improve my overall well-being of body, mind, and spirit. Me and my mom created a business called Inner Light, 
And inner light is helping you discover your inner light, which is a strong body, calm mind, and vibrant spirit for young people across the world. And that took us to three continents and a bunch of countries, educating young people of all kinds and all races and ethnicities about discovering their inner light. And kind of as they discovered their inner light, I saw mine started brighter and brighter as well. And I found my voice and found my truth. And so that was sixth grade. And that took me through middle school. And in high school, I began to feel lost again. And I went through high school not really knowing how I could integrate climate, mental health, oceans, all together for my purpose and passion. And this was in a very stressful, high energy environment of Northern Virginia, a place where kids go to Stanford and Harvard. And if you don't, you're kind of a loser. So it was pretty intense growing up in a place with this, with also a family from very humble beginnings, but have made it really far in life. And I wanted to use all of that knowledge to channel into something. So I pitched to create Ocean Uprise, which is a youth activist platform. And it's a place where ocean climate solutionists take action to protect the oceans. And most importantly, educate a new generation of ocean guardians about how to protect the oceans. And much like SOA, it's equipping people with the knowledge and tools they need to scale up their impact. And as Brandon said, we all are looking for the ways to find how we can have the most amount of impact in the world. And I knew that my gift from being a kid was sharing stories and connecting people. So that's what we do in Ocean Uprise. We're kind of like the rivers and streams that almost feed SOA, which is like the ocean, and we're feeding it from all different ways. And without this, with these systems interconnected, we understand that the whole watershed is healthy because we educate all the young people, equip them with the tools they need to be young ocean leaders before they scale their innovation. And it's really important because every day young people ask me, how do I get my start in oceans or in climate or environmental justice? And I say, you have to find what you love and what you feel most connected to. And I think it all stems from that place of connection. So my biggest message, what I tell people always, and my friends make fun of me for this, is ocean health is human health. And there's so many reasons why. Brandon explained how the ocean is the largest carbon sink. The ocean absorbs incredible amounts of excess heat. The ocean quite literally is the same salinity of our mother's womb. We come from our own mini oceans, says Dr. Eski Britton. We also are 70% water, our planet 70% water. And the same water that flows through the water cycle is flows through our veins. So we are deeply linked to the ocean. And with that understanding, I co-created Ocean Uprise, and now it's grown to a community of 5,000 young people. And we have 130 alumni going through our internship programs, our ambassador programs. And most importantly, we're helping young people get on C-suite positions and executive boards of companies and organizations so they can scale their impact and have a much broader reach than individual impact because individual impact plus systemic change makes societal change. And I think that's our theory of how we use intergenerational collaboration as a tool for systems transformation in the ocean space. Thank you, Bodhi. You both have such powerful stories. Thank you for sharing them so openly. It's really inspiring and great to understand the context of, of the work. And Bodhi, as you've said, ocean health is human health. And so let's turn to find out how we're doing. Brandon, let's get started just by understanding the problem that you're working to solve. What's happening with our oceans today? What is the state of ocean health and how is it linked to climate change? I appreciate the question and the way in which you're express your story and the multifaceted challenge that we're all facing as humans on this planet is very inspiring to me and continues to resonate. So thank you. As it relates to where we're at, 
Unfortunately, the diagnosis isn't particularly great. We face enormous challenges right now. Of course, the ocean is our largest ecosystem. I know of many investors think uh, are tuning in. So you could think of the ocean sort of as a fund of funds in the sense of it's an ecosystem of ecosystems. And many of those ecosystems are not necessarily faring well for a variety of reasons. We have vast amounts of overfishing, way beyond sustainable yields. We have mass extinction events. Uh, according to the WWF's Living Planet Index, wildlife has declined 60% since the 1970s and is showing no signs of slowing down. Pollution, plastic pollution continues to run rampant. Uh, 90% of the plastic pollution in the ocean derives just from 10 rivers, most of them in Asia. And we see how agricultural runoff continues to create these ocean dead zones where the ocean's literally choked of oxygen while massive die-offs are happening amongst critical species. When you factor in specifically climate change, we are on course from anywhere from 2.7 to 3.7 degrees Celsius of warming over the next 80 years, which would make 99% of our coral reefs extinct. And we have less than 10 years to act to really reverse course there. So the challenges are indeed vast. And when we look at how can we be at the forefront of tackling these challenges, well, one of the things that Sustainable Ocean Alliance <laughs> does is, or the way in which we, our disposition in this space is to be quite audacious with our goals. We believe that we can reverse these tides and really set the ocean on a path for holistic health within our generation. Now, we've proven a model that sincerely works, and it's a mix of what we've already talked about before, where we have programs that support young leaders like Bodhi through a variety of means, whether it's to create their next grassroots project or community initiative, or if it's around supporting their community organizational efforts, whether that's raising awareness or organizing campaigns and such. And on the innovation side, over the last few years, we've now accelerated 266 solutions with headquarters in 77 different countries. So really finding the best possible projects that ideally are youth-led and finding the pathway for those projects to scale. We've built the world's largest network of young leaders and innovative startups, nonprofits, and grassroots campaigns dedicated to solving all of these challenges. The way in which we're unique in this space is that we are able to allocate funding across all of these different types of projects, creating a pipeline from a grassroots social initiative all the way to a rapidly scaling multinational company of the future that's really using the profit mechanism, but also emerging technologies to solve some of the challenges that we've never really had a chance to dive in on because we haven't been there. Our technological prowess hasn't been where it needs to be to actually get to the bottom of this. In the process, we're also creating blue jobs, fostering the sustainable blue economy, and providing as much investment capital as possible to projects that we've supported initially, but also with follow-on funding so that they can continue to grow and scale at each technical milestone. 
So our hope is that although the challenges are quite vast, that if we continue to activate young people, develop and implement these innovative solutions and mobilize an ocean workforce, that we can indeed restore the health of our ocean in our lifetime. Thanks, Brandon. I'd love to talk about the state of investment in oceans. How much investment is going into ocean-related companies and efforts? How much is needed? And more specifically for SOA, I know you raised $15 million last year to scale up support for young entrepreneurs. And as you said, you're taking a diversified approach. You're allocating funding across market-driven startup investments, nonprofit grants, and also local initiatives led by youth. And so I'm curious about that strategy, the pros and cons, opportunities, and the challenges of such a diversified approach. Absolutely. Well, I'll start with your first question, which I think is a very astute one. So as it stands, there's 17 SGGs, Sustainable Development Goals, the least funded. You want to guess what the least funded of those 17 are? I'm going to guess it's oceans. Ding, 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 ding. You are correct. <laughs> it only gets 149. And currently, there's only a billion dollars a year coming from philanthropy. It's underfunded about $150 billion per year. So we have a massive gap here, if we are going to see real change for projects and services that are holistically addressing this problem, to, for them to get meaningful support, that they can navigate these valleys of death, that they can navigate through these significant scaling challenges. And currently, there are some positive initiatives. We've created a small venture fund called Seabird Ventures, which provides follow-on funding for a series of startups that have the highest impact potential and highest scalable potential. And we're looking at other broad-based investing approaches, finding co-investors in the space that are taking triple bottom line approaches and working with initiatives like a thousand ocean startups and beyond where we could try to find more unified frameworks that will spur investment and also increase investor confidence in investing both for a profit and for impact. And then to answer your question around what are the risks or downsides or upsides around investing in such a broad portfolio, one of the common things or one of the things that makes it less broad or more distilled is that we have these five areas of ocean health impact. We look at blue carbon and carbon removal. We look at waste reduction in the circular economy. We look at ecosystem preservation and restoration. We look at blue foods, which are fisheries, aquaculture, plant-based or seafood alternatives. And then we look at ocean data, literacy, and research. So across the board, we've found that it's been quite effective for us to take these impact pillars as the distilling factor in how we source and choose where to allocate our projects to, because they align in our opinion, most with science-based goals to really reverse the tide on ocean health. The reality is that although there are many ideas and projects and services out there that could be funded, we need to create a pipeline where we're taking a broad-based approach, whether it's a small project out of Kenya or Indonesia, or whether it's a larger, more mature company that's trying to raise a series B, if we can take a broad portfolio approach, it'll give us the highest chance to find the best unicorns in that process, but also to really holistically build that pipeline. So by the top of the funnel, it's sourcing 
all of these different ideas and solutions that will ultimately be refined to some of the best and most high impact that not only could just be individually successful, but have these micro economies and potentially be complementary. So if we have a very successful, scalable startup that's having distribution across the globe, can they work with some of these smaller initiatives that we work with to raise education and awareness, to do some citizen science testing, to help penetrate those new markets with the help of our community? So it's all complementary, we see, in both creating a pipeline and creating this collaborative effort of innovative solutions across the globe. Thanks, Brandon. Bodhi, you're taking a broad-based approach as well, and in some ways, a diversified approach of working with and supporting thousands of young people and helping them be impactful around the world's oceans. Tell us about some of the roles that you see them developing, and really, what is the role of young people and the importance of youth leadership in creating more sustainable oceans? Brilliant. As Brandon mentioned, the ocean climate alarm bells are ringing. And the only people to step up to the plate and take to bat have been young people. And that's why we need to learn from young people and work with young people. And adults and executives can learn from young people through the process of intergenerational collaboration. And that looks like five things. One is 360 degree mentorship, being mentors and mentees to young ocean climate solutionists young solutionists that focus on building solutions, as Brandon mentioned, and not just activists trying to break down a system, rather both building it up and breaking it down and rewriting a new one. That's the first, mentorship. The second is placing young people on C-suite positions and executive board membership positions. I think having young people on boards, I actually sit on the board of Youth Advisors of Symbrosia Seaweeds. Alexia was one of your previous guests and I love her. Symbrosia is an incredible organization reducing enteric methane emissions from cattle by feeding the cattle a rare, a special type of red seaweed, a red algae called Asparagopsis saxiformis, and it's performed very highly over 70%, 75%, and then 95% in methane emission reduction, which is 95, uh, 27 times more potent than carbon dioxide emissions in the atmosphere. So placing young people on executive boards of existing organizations that are focused on ocean solutions. The third is, as Brandon mentioned, SOA and investing in ocean climate solutions, putting the finance, as Brandon mentioned, there's an $150 billion annual finance gap for ocean solutions, and we need to scale up this finance. And investors should be looking at the ocean as something that's incredibly resilient. The ocean, despite incredible amounts of acidification and heat, is still able to survive and thrive. And in many places, a lot of you find the most amount of joy by being in, on, and around the ocean, by snorkeling on coral reefs, by diving, by placing your head below the surface. So invest in what you love, invest in the ocean. The fourth is really important. It's building intergenerational task forces. It's different than placing young people on boards. It's focusing on how you can work together in your daily lives, in your day-to-day business, in your organization to build a better, healthier future that's focused on oceans, marine justice, and environmental health. One example is I sit and work with Toms of Maine and the Colgate Palmolive Suite, which happens to be a large polluter. However, they're actively working on reducing their emissions, creating a greener, more sustainable future, and working directly with young people through the Toms of Maine incubator to do so. So we need to work with these companies that have historically been large polluters to help turn off the tap, stem the tide of pollution, as Brandon repeatedly said, and most importantly, build with them and not against them. And the fifth thing is really important, 
we need to listen and learn to the voice of the ocean. The voice of the ocean, when we're still and quiet, has a lot to say. And when we're able to listen to her voice, we know that she's crying out for help. It was really fun because Brandon and I met on this boat in French Polynesia where we were doing a summit on investing in the ocean and different ocean solutions. It was focused on deep seabed mining and how we can stop deep seabed mining and showcase the richness of deep sea biology, focused on marine offshore renewable energy and wind and wave energy. It focused on ocean health and human health and how young people and indigenous people are playing a crucial role into this. So I guess my biggest tips in addition to those five are make sure to work, listen to young indigenous people, people of color that have historically stewarded the ocean since time immemorial along the BC coast where I'm from. We have 15 coastal First Nations groups and nine major coastal First Nations. And these nations have lived here for 14,000 years. Settlers in Canada have been here for 150, maybe 200 years. Like think about that time scale of knowledge and place-based stewardship. It's incredible. And the numbers don't lie. It's simply many more years. So as we work with young people, we also need to work under the principles of UNDRIP with indigenous people, with coastal First Nations like the Musqueam Squamish that are protecting the eelgrass beds here, like the nations all across the world that are doing specific work in their community, whether it's the, in the Amazon, whether it's on the west coast of Africa, whether it's with the Pacuare River in Costa Rica, a place of stewardship, it's all connected. And I guess just going back to your question, like one of the most powerful ways to support a generation that's rising up to the challenge and is a new wave of ocean guardians is really just to listen and learn. I think by sitting all together in a room, us being on this podcast together, we're helping to really stem and educate people that intergenerational collaboration is possible and it's exactly what's needed. And Sustainable Ocean Alliance and Ocean Uprise have been able to support and facilitate that by bringing in the world's leading ocean experts, the ocean educators. Recently on SOA, we had East, Dr. Eski Britton, who's a professional surfer. I'm an educator, speak about ocean health and human health. And it reminded me in my day-to-day life just to slow down, to pause, and to be more like water. She said, water ebbs and flows. Water always goes around obstacles, no matter how big or how small. I think it's a reminder for all of us, whether you're in energy whether you're focused on climate tech or carbon dioxide removal, whether you're focused on oceans, whether you're focused on biodiversity crediting, the ocean is an essential aspect to that as it regulates all of our climate and young people are the people that are stewarding this ocean. So invest in us. Thanks, Bodhi. Let's dive into some specific tangible programs that both of you are working with. The Ocean Solutions Accelerator, Brandon, is part of SOA and actually something that a couple of my teammates got to participate in while I was at IDEO. So I'm aware that sometimes the accelerator actually takes place on a boat. I'd love to learn more about what the accelerator is and what has been surfacing in terms of opportunities, challenges, and insights. Absolutely. Yes. And working with IDEO was really a pleasure. They came aboard the Seabird ship, which was where in 2019, we hosted our first ever accelerator at sea, bringing together different entrepreneurs, mentors, investors, and key players in the ocean world together while we had a chance to look at dolphins and all sorts of amazing sea life aboard the ship. Now, we have not, unfortunately, we have not 
had one of those accelerator at seas since 2019. I think just the notion of being on a cruise ship during the COVID era and post-COVID era gives some people some pause. (laughs) But we do plan to reconsider that idea going forward because it was such an incredible event and really something we want to do again. So as it relates to our accelerator over, we have been in the process currently of rejiggering a lot of what we do to support more entrepreneurs worldwide. The term we're actually using these days is ecopreneur, which connotes a entrepreneur that's trying to solve an ecological problem such as ocean health. And we support a variety of different initiatives. I mentioned some of our key areas of impact. And ultimately, our thesis is that entrepreneurship and innovation have the power to heal the ocean. If we can invest in startups and support founders holistically that are developing these scalable businesses that address the ocean greatest challenges, then we have a real chance at solving our broad-based issue area here, which is the health and state of our ocean, which leads to a viable planet for humans to thrive on. So within the accelerator itself, we provide a lot of means for our startups to get the support they need, whether it's direct investment through typically a safe or an equity investment or one-on-one personalized mentorship. We have a series of different development and coaching offers, whether it's one-on-one coaching, pitch coaching, the ability for, for you to learn how to track your impact metrics better. And of course, always we're looking at how can we connect this startup to the right investor at the right time. An entrepreneur doesn't have a whole lot of time to really be spending their time on doing much other than building their product and raising money for that product. So what is mission critical for those individuals that are creating these next generation startups with incredible technologies? How do we support them in their most mission critical ways when they most need it? So Going forward, we're looking at a broad-based way in which rather than have just a cohort of people joining for a temporally fixed juncture in a year, we're going to have a concierge always on model in which we can serve our ecopreneurs through all of these different service offerings and more in hopes that we can scale, greatly scale beyond just the 50 plus startups, but to ultimately reach hundreds or thousands of projects as they come to maturity. Thanks, Brandon. Bodhi, what about you? What are some current initiatives that you're really excited about that you're embarking on or maybe some of your community members are leading? Before jumping into that, I just want to say Seabird Ventures is super cool. Everyone should check it out at seabirdventures.fund. And two of the cool portfolio projects that are happening right now that they're investing in are Finless Foods. That's creating this new type of fish without using any sort of fish product and Akua, which is creating kelp burgers. So they're both really awesome. And it's kind of the future of blue foods and the ocean feeds 3 billion people. So it's very important to make sure as we overfish, we're finding better sustainable fishing practices. And most importantly, we're finding better alternative food systems. So those are two to shout out. Yeah, I'm really excited for three main projects. One is One World Breath. I co-created it with my dad and Craig Foster, who created My Octopus Teacher. And it's a youth-led ocean climate action movement to reconnect people to Mother Nature and Mother Earth through our breath. 
because we know one half breath we take is from forests of sea, these kelp forests that provide oxygen, and one half breath we take is from forests on land, these rainforests that provide our second breath. So together that makes one world breath. And one world breath is essentially young people all around the world taking a breath to reconnect with the planet. And it's capturing hundreds of thousands and millions of breaths. And it's putting it on the global stage in front of main event concerts, such as Billie Eilish's concert, hopefully in the future, crossing my fingers, and showing that we're all connected to nature and we all have a role to play as stewards. So the idea is to license it out to large musicians and really share this story of impact and have young people donating breaths, donating all sorts of projects and showcasing Indigenous-led ocean climate solutions. And I can get into those later. So that's One World Breath. I'm really excited for that as it grows and scales and hopefully we get to work with National Geographic in the years to come. The second project I'm really excited about is called On Deck Fisheries AI. On Deck Fisheries is actually part of the Sustainable Ocean Alliance Fisheries Fellowship. and I'm the head of impact there and our founder Alexander Dungate is in Washington DC with SOA right now I'm lobbying on the Hill and also working directly to find finance towards fisheries monitoring. We know that fishing and the fishing industry is essential for all life on the planet. In fact, it feeds, as I mentioned, millions and billions of people. However, fish are dying off and there's incredible amounts of bycatch in the ocean. So intended fishermen are not catching what they intend to go for. They're catching a lot of the species like dolphins, like whales, like all sorts of other really crucial fish for ocean health in their nets, and they're releasing them dead. And this is really evident as we see overfishing and continue to increase like this, where fishing stock continues to decrease. So we need to make sure that we're monitoring fisheries. And on-deck fisheries has created the world's first high-quality fisheries monitoring program that can monitor fish catch and bycatch as you pull it onto deck, identifying fish species, amount, and tracking that in a loggable database that external monitors and reviewers can then access open source through our data platform. And this is a revolutionary platform. Over the last eight months, we've been able to raise over $250,000 and we hope to upscale that to $5 million in the next year so that we can implement our technology, which is an AI machine learning based software onto any fishing vessel with a camera. It's quite revolutionary and there's been no fisheries monitoring platform or app that's been able to track exactly what species you're catching and what bycatch you're catching on the fishing vessel. It's different than Global Fishing Watch, and it's complementary to a lot of other fisheries monitoring programs. So we're really excited to scale that up. And it started just at my school at the University of British Columbia. So it's really exciting to see entrepreneurship come out of our school. And as a 20-year-old that's just getting my foot and space in this field, I'm really, really excited to continue to grow. The third initiative, I mentioned it already, is Symbrosia Seaweeds. Symbrosia was mentioned in a previous episode. It's a really powerful tool. And as we continue to develop a suite of seaweed-based solutions, there are so many more applications. Red seaweed is used for carrageenan, which is used in toothpaste, that Tom's of Maine issues. Different seaweed products and agar-agar are used in different products that we consume every day, including gels, including different food. So... Seaweed is essential to all life and working on showcasing the coastal First Nations in BC that are stewarding these reserves of seaweed, that are innovating with these reserves of seaweed, using it as a bioplastic, using it as a biofuel, as a feed for livestock is really incredible. So as a young person, my goal is to really continue to share stories, to capture the stories of incredible people stewarding the ocean that we need, and most importantly, 
to be on executive boards in companies to advise organizations how to better work with young people, how to have meaningful youth engagement. And of course, as someone that's really connected and stoked on ocean projects, I get to work with Brandon and the SOA team and Daniela and Mark Haver from SOA and hundreds of young ocean leaders around the world that are doing very tangible, high impact projects locally, looking to scale, just to have fun, to go in, to help cull some lionfish invasive species in the Caribbean, to help protect some rivers, help intercept some debris, help create circular systems within Sri Lanka, whatever it is, I get to go and check out these places. And it's really, really fun. Last solution I'll mention is coral gardeners. Coral gardeners is replanting coral on broken and damaged coral reefs out of Moorea, French Polynesia, where Brandon and I first got to meet. And they're an incredible organization that's creating a media hub for coral stewardship. And as a reef ambassador for coral gardeners, I'm also really excited to spend some of my time this summer going and planting corals in perhaps the most one of the most beautiful and special places in the world. I'm sure, Brandon, you'd agree after our very special trip there and really help to implement and scale coral solutions that can help restore a reef that needs it. And part of that is stemming the tide of pollution upstream. So we work together to really create a healthier ocean. Bodhi, thank you for that. You actually, I think, just provided some really tangible examples for what you described as solutionists, particularly the technology to prevent overfishing, really showing how we can move beyond just advocacy to working to develop solutions. One issue that I know that you've been passionate about and working on as well is deep sea mining, the process of extracting resources from the ocean floor. And supporters of deep sea mining claim that it's needed for batteries and energy storage and infrastructure for electrifying everything. What is it that you think we need to really be thinking about when it comes to deep sea mining? The deep sea is a common heritage site for all of humankind. Not only is it the origin of life, if you believe in science-based evolution, it's also the origin of a lot of spiritual and cultural practice. And Hawaiian values, the kuleana responsibility and stewardship comes from the deep sea and these ecosystems that have emerged way before humans were here. So first of all, the deep sea is something that everyone shares, is not owned by anyone or any one country or entity, and it's regulated by this organization called the International Seabed Authority from the United Nations. And a lot of people and companies like the Metals Company are saying that deep sea minerals extracting these polymetallic nozzles on the abyssal plains of the Clariton-Clipperton zone, a lot of terms and jargon here, basically that means scooping up a bunch of really mineral-rich sediment in lithium, iron, copper, zinc from the ocean floor and using it to electrify public vehicles or cars. It's not like this. In fact, we see news articles coming out in the New York Times and The Guardian showing that deep seabed mining will have existential and irreversible impacts on ocean health. It's basically like getting a huge industrial machine and putting it in an ecosystem that's never been damaged or touched by any human activity. So it's completely damaging a beautiful, untouched ecosystem that's the very foundation for ocean health. The deep sea is also largely unexplored. So we need to better understand science, better understand deep sea biology before any activity is happening. That's why people, including indigenous peoples from the Pacific and all around the world, are calling for a ban on deep sea mining at the International Seabed Authority. And we only have until this June, until the two-year rule since NARU issued it two years ago, will move forward, basically allowing deep seabed permitting 
to be licensed in the Claritin Clipperton zone in the Pacific. So we must stop this extractive industry before it starts. I'm sure none of you would want to see a forest fully clear cut. Deep seabed mining is like clear cutting the ocean's floor. And it's a forest that we've never even seen before. So if you're an explorer, if you're an adventurer, if you're a lover of nature, you want to understand and protect the ocean, then we have to stop deep seabed mining. And that means you can do three things. One, you can sign on to petitions, sign on to agreements saying that you will not deep sea mine. And this includes or engage and buy minerals from deep sea mining. And as companies, that's a great way to do that. BMW, Volkswagen, and Volvo have already signed on. There's a petition as young people you can sign to say no to seabed mining and show your voice and make it heard. And of course, there are many events through Look Down Action, a youth-led ocean climate platform that we actually were successful by stopping and banning deep sea mining here in Vancouver after a lot of advocacy on the streets, in the boardrooms with the executives and governors to make sure deep sea bed mining never happens in Canada. So check one, let's move to every single other country we can possibly get to. Everyone needs to stand up for the health of the deep sea. So sign on and say no to deep sea mining today. Thank you, Bodhi. Brandon, let's turn to you. For listeners really inspired by the work of Sustainable Ocean Alliance, how can they help? Yeah, thank you, Jason. I'll say that right now, the 266 and counting solutions that I've mentioned, it's just the beginning. We need to pour billions of dollars in the form of investment and philanthropy into ocean and climate solutions. We're doing our part, but we're really looking for investors to co-invest alongside us into our solutions and for philanthropic capital to step up to help us really scale our efforts. Second, we're always open and we will have an ever-increasing need for more talent. So we need more people to dedicate their lives, not to building the next AI-based, not for impact app, but to help build and support these climate change and planetary solutions. You don't need to be an entrepreneur or a leader to join us in this fight, nor do you need, let's say, a degree in marine biology or oceanography, but we need your unique worldview, your skill set, your devotion, and for you to be an ally. So really joining our efforts and joining this incredible community of leaders and entrepreneurs to help in our efforts. And third, these solutions that we've spoken about, they require pilot, scale, and implementation partners. So we're looking for governments at all levels, corporations, and philanthropy to work with us so we can bring these solutions into market so they can scale in a very short period of time. So that is really the direction that we believe will take us to the point where we have a chance to transform our economies and governance and invest in what the world needs most. Thanks, Brandon. Bodhi, take us home. Any final calls to action for people inspired to do more to protect our oceans? For investors and donors, donate and finance, co-finance ocean climate solutions with Sustainable Ocean Alliance. For investors looking to educate a new wave of ocean guardians, invest into Ocean Uprise to equip everyone with every young person with the tools they need to be young ocean leaders and accelerate solutions. For people that want to learn more about the ocean, check out parlay.tv, check out SOA Alliance, and make sure to get outside. My biggest call to action is listen to the voice of the ocean, slow down, take a step away from your desk, stretch out, put your back on a tree, take a deep breath, know that you're inextricably connected to the ocean, and if you can, get in the water. I think Brendan and I always find ourselves being in, on, and around the water because we're literally called to it. So find your calling and answer that call. Be in the water, spend time by the water. We are water and water is life. 
Brandon, Bodie, thank you so much for your time today and for the work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Invested in Climate. Please remember to rate us on Apple, Spotify, or Google. Find show notes, sign up for updates, get in touch, and visualize your climate action at investedinclimate.com. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial, accounting, or legal advice. Thanks again.